Hello and welcome to the Disney Animated Cannibal, a podcast where I, Talon Lee, he, him, and I, Fox Lee, she, her, watch all of the Disney Animated Canon movies despite our better judgement and ongoing sense of ennui with the entire project. This time we watched Ralph Breaks the Internet 2, Frozen 2. Uh, this time we watched Frozen 2. We understand now how badly you wanted this to be gay, but no. We watched Frozen 1 and a half. We, hmm? we watched Frozen 2. This time we remember to include much more marketable mascot characters. We watched Frozen 2, A Triumph of Failures. Oh, we watched Frozen 2. Put another song in it. We didn't know what to do for this bit. It's 2019, six years after Frozen 1 has come out. In that time, parents who got really horny watching Frozen 1 went home had sex, had a kid, that kid grew up, and is now the target audience for the sequel. Oh, I don't like this at all. I know. Hey, Fox, your time to do the plot in 60 seconds. Uh, so it is. Your time starts now. Okay, so we're picking up after Frozen 1, six years of uh, in-universe time as well as real time, apparently. Uh, we find Elsa struggling to settle into being a Disney queen and Anna... Being very happy with her current situation. Uh, but then we flash back to find out that there's some kind of magical haunted forest shit going on that the girls were warned about by their parents when they were young. Uh, which is just about to become plot relevant, so thank god we went and found out about it. Uh, anyway, Elsa starts hearing the spirits of the mysterious forest calling to her, and despite trying to resist, realizes that she has to go and, like, solve the mystery of what happened there and free the forest or whatever. Uh, she tries to do this alone, being as she's the only one with superpowers, but the others won't let her, being as they need to go along and be characters or whatever. Uh, and it turns out this isn't such a bad idea because Elsa becomes increasingly, uh, willing to take stupid risks and will totally get herself dead if not for their help or something like that. Uh, anyway, they find a bunch of people trapped in the mysterious forest since the time when it started getting all mysterious and haunted. Uh, they meet some people, find out some shit about the past, find out new questions about the past. Elsa starts meeting and taming the elemental spirits one by one, but eventually she has to go running off to a magical river that's the source of all knowledge, and she can't possibly do that with Elsa, so she pretty much just sends her the fuck away in a magical bobsled to go and finish her side of the plot elsewhere. Uh, Elsa eventually finds out that the people of Arendelle fucked over the people of the forest, and they have to set that right by, well, sacrificing Arendelle, as far as they know, which they try to do, but fortunately, uh, Elsa gets undead quick enough to come back and save it so everyone's fine and they can reconcile with the the people of the forest and the spirits of the forest, who are two different groups. It's kind of ambiguous at first. Elsa's a spirit? Or something? Look, I don't know. This movie's a bit of a fucking mess. I, the ending feels like an arsehole. Yeah, that's about all I got. He's looking at me like there's more of a conclusion here, but that's pretty much it. I was just waiting for a signal that you were done. Oh, and Kristoff's here too. Yay, Kristoff. Should, should I have not said something? No, no, that's fine. Okay, just... I think this is great. This is what this movie deserves. Uh, yeah, I, I, would, I would push back gently on the idea... That it's necessarily a mess, 
but it is memory Teflon. <laughs> we literally just watched this movie. It's not a mess in that it's complicated. It's a mess in that it's like, yeah, whatever, you may as well tell me that that's how this bit pans out, because it's not. Like, none of it has an emotional resonance that makes it stick with any kind of meaning, so I don't really care how that bit panned out. Do you have any prior experiences with this movie, Fox? Oh, I watched it when it was new-ish. Kind of been that long ago if it only came out in 2019, so mm-hmm. probably just after they released it on uh, on Disney streaming. Yep, which happened just after its theatric run ended. I definitely wasn't going to pay to go see this. But, uh, you know, I can see why it might have hit streaming sooner than, than otherwise if that was 2019. Like, the dark times were coming. Anything for a double take? Nah, you? No. Nope. Then, the Yikes door slash product of its time. I guess it's pretty unyikesy. Um, I will first say that I am not equipped to have a conversation about the Sami culture. Sami consultants were spoken to, specifically Northern Sami, who are a distinct group to Southern Sami, and Southern Sami often feel that the Northern Sami are treated as the Sami. For those of you playing along at home, we're talking about uh, Scandinavian First Nations groups. Yeah. Yeah. who would be the people that this uh, northern forest culture is based on, since Arendelle is more or less Finnish. Norwegian Norwegian, Finnish. yeah. They're, they're all... <laughs> Finno-Scandish. Yeah. The movie, by statement of the directors, is literally and deliberately intended to be a pro-reparations piece. Which is fair. I think that comes across. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the answer to the big mystery is, yeah, we fucked them because we were afraid of them. Um, and the only thing that can make this right is to be willing to give up what we have for their sake. The other thing that's very much a product of its time, and you touched on it just there with, you watched on Disney Plus when it became available. Um, it didn't become available on Disney Plus until its theatrical run ended in March 2020. Okay, so what time of, what time in 2019 did it release? November. Okay, okay, so this was not an especially long run, it just went straight to streaming, because the shit was hitting the fan. Yeah, pandemic lockdown started, the response from Disney was to shutter as much stuff as they could, the theatrical runs for all their ongoing movies ended, and everything that was currently on the docket jumped to streaming immediately. Frozen 2 could have lasted in theaters for another three months. I would have expected that, yeah. See, when you first said 2020, I was like, oh, did this thing have like a year-long run in theaters? That wouldn't fucking surprise me at this point. But yeah, that that version makes more sense. That's all I have, I'm afraid, for the Yikes Door slash product of its time. Turns out that being made in 2019, it's not likely to have any stuff that really stands out to me as someone who's very much also of his time. Which is hilarious, because boy did Ralph Breaks the Internet have a lot of, like, internet boomer shit. It's true. (laughs) It's partly because Ralph Breaks the Internet is a terrible movie made in a terrible franchise for embarrassing people. Whereas this was kind of aimed at five-year-olds. Yeah, well, um, you know, as far as teaching five-year-olds that uh, reparations are are just unnecessary, uh, you know, that's cool. Like that. Uh, as a story, it's pretty naff. Uh, moving on from the product of its time, animation and making. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, this is another 
extremely like boringly excellent Disney thing. Like it looks spectacular, but only in exactly the way you would expect it to. Yeah, I uh, I didn't take any notes on the voice talent or um, the director's name or the script writer. I assume almost everybody. Sorry. Or anything. I assume almost everybody is returning cast anyway. We've only got a few new characters. Yeah, the the actor who plays Matthias is apparently well loved. He's he's a nice character. Hmm. Yeah. Um, songs. I, there's a lot of songs. Yeah, it's it's very much a musical's musical. Yeah, I don't really appreciate most of them. I guess in the same way that in the first one, I didn't appreciate most of anything that wasn't Let It Go. Yeah. A lot of them are just very, like, just pop song kind of thing. Though, <laughs> out, out of time pop songs in most cases. Yeah, I guess. Well, like the the uh, the opening song, where Anna's just, you know, talking about how great life is. And how things won't change. Yeah. And that feels like a pop song to you? Yeah. And not, okay. There's two different Olaf songs. Oh, there is, isn't there? I, I like the song about the river, the one that's like a haunted little folk song. I think that's very pretty. Yeah. I, I would have really enjoyed that as a kid. I would have sung that a lot. Uh, Christoph got a song. Mm. Okay, now that's a pop song. Yeah. It's a very, like, deliberately 80s cheesy kind of pop song. Yeah, I yeah. I like it very much. Definitely did its job, too. <laughs> it's only like two steps removed from being Ario Speedwagon or something, and yet I still don't like it. I... I don't know. I get the impression that there's not much in this movie for you to like. <laughs> I do. I, I mean, I tried to like it. I wanted to like it. I I like a lot of what could have happened here. I mean, I have a whole chunk of what could have happened in whatever land, so I'm not going to go into it too hard. Oh, that'll be fun to talk about. Hope, hypothetically. <laughs> might just result in you being infuriated at this movie more because of what it's not. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I do expect I'll like it less once I find out what what got replaced by what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, am I being too hard on it? I don't hate it. It's not just like a shit-awful movie. I think that there's no way this conversation ends with you happy. Because <laughs> on the one hand, this movie was made for five-year-olds. Like, really specifically five-year-olds. Hey, I love a lot of movies made for little babies. And that means that they made a lot of choices. And then when you find out those choices were for five-year-olds, you're going to be pissed. Come on, I'm not usually like that. I don't think you're like that. I think that the choices they made in this specific situation for five-year-olds are the things that will make you pissed. Okay, you may be right. Anyway. I'd rather have Elsa just, like, explicate the wrong badness of the situation to the ghost of her grandfather, just in case we missed that point. There were a lot of elements in the first test screening of this movie in March 2019 that were confusing. Just lost the child audience that they were aiming at. And that child audience needed a lot of questions answered. And so the movie gained about 15 minutes of extra scenes and changes to the... um, Not changes to the plot but changes to what was in the movie to make sure that some information that was left previously observed was stated. Seems like a lot. Um, This included getting audio from the original Frozen, pre-Frozen trailer where Elsa was a villain Uh and cutting some of that dialogue into this movie 
Oh, what was that? Um, the point where Anna is shouting out, that's my sister. That's from the very first pre That's where I've heard that. Yeah. That was in early trailers, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck me. Yeah. Um, stuff like Hans's reappearance and being, you know, gotten rid of, like explicitly to show that that character is not important here. That's not related. Um, multiple times where things were just flat out explained Anna telling the giants to throw rocks at the bridge to make it clear that that's what she wanted them to do because kids were like, oh no, she's trying to get away uh. and she didn't. And now the bridge is broken. And, so the dam is broken. A whole bunch of stuff that, you know, it was just changed and they changed it in a way to make it more clear to a child audience and they changed it in the way that was, I guess, at the time, the easiest way for them to do it in the time frame they had. I think that last one makes a lot of sense. Like, I'm an adult viewer and I don't think it was super clear without her explaining yeah. that the dam needed to be destroyed. Plus the scene with the soldiers made it much better and stronger, really. The narrative structure of the movie is one where the characters are separated to make it possible for them to do character development that isn't entirely about their relationship to one another. And the result of that is that there are stretches in this movie where characters are alone and the only way to explicate their thought processes there is to demonstrate them somehow. And this isn't a movie with a lot of internal monologues, so <laughs> characters started talking about what they were doing, and Anna didn't do a lot of that in the previous version, and then they needed space for her to do that, because she wasn't doing it originally. That is kind of an entertaining irony, because of course, like, you know, if, if you were to describe that problem without the context of being about this movie, I would be like, gosh, wouldn't it be handy if we had a mechanism whereby the characters, for no practical reason, would talk very clearly in no uncertain terms about what they were going through at the time and like oh this movie does have a fuckload of songs in it and yeah. still they had this problem ah wild and that's what the whole point of do the next right thing is uh and indeed it's why olaf has an extra song explaining stuff is which is the extra song the the first song of everything will make sense when i'm older okay is, okay. is the un, is the actually scheduled one the subsequent one whose name escapes me is the uh uh the you know filler explainer the structure of this movie had to be adjusted in march 2019 for a november 2019 launch date you know what that's that's really what i'm talking about when i said it was a mess earlier because it's not it's not that much of a mess it just feels rough it feels like a director didn't get to do as much with this as they would have liked and that's probably exactly what happened. Like, yeah. It it feels crunched. It it feels unpolished, which is funny because it's a Disney movie, and therefore the visuals are the most polished. Yeah, I can definitely see that. <laughs> the way this thing got made is interesting in that you have like the obligatory pushes of technology, new things, high resolution for three D objects, the ability to have things like tassels and jewels that reflect 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 and reflect and refract light the way they do the intricacies of the character and and costume design that stuff's all cool the like <laughs> core of it though is that they had to do a lot of stuff to make stuff clearer to the audience and the way they did it is kind of ham-fisted there's also a lot of just clumsy sequel stuff like uh you know giving Elsa another coming out song, but this time we're sort of trying to lean into it. 
and like it's never going to be as good as the first coming out song that we gave her um and like uh, you know now she's going to go through like four dramatic cool outfit changes because people loved her one dramatic outfit change so much in the first one like there's a lot of that like it's not it's not bad wrong it's just you know kind of hacky you know it's kind of hacky stuff was done intentionally in the movie in the sequel to build on stuff that was in the first movie and to address gaps in the first movie. Now that's a word that always gets my hackles up. Yeah, which is why I'm approaching it <laughs> very delicately. Like, actual gaps are like imagined YouTube gaps. Like, oh, I can't handle accepting that someone has magic unless you explain how she got magic. Yeah, no, uh, feel free to continue having that fight <laughs> over there. I don't need to have that fight. Anyone who's going to take to me on that is wrong. <laughs> No, it's things like, why were Anna and Elsa's parents so shitty? Ah, okay. Which I think you may remember, I pointed out that they did the same thing Gothel did. Right, but they were, you know, sympathetic instead, and really, they got let off pretty lightly. Now, the expanded canon of Frozen goes into this in depth, so people going into Frozen 2 already knew, apparently, (laughs) that this was a thing, but... Elsa's dad lost his dad when he was seven and it was traumatizing and upsetting and he had no good father figure and he didn't know what dads did. So he was a crap dad because he had no good example and no one was willing to tell him as a dad, you shouldn't do things in this way. Because he was also a king? Yes. And so he imparted bad lessons on Elsa Hmm. and part of that was he also had an enormous secret he was keeping hidden from his children for years about the biracial nature of them and the origin of the magic that they were the bridge to. So he's supposed to have known? Yep. Which makes the idea of him telling Elsa, well, you can just keep this a secret your whole life, make a little (laughs) more sense, and looks a little less bastardy. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was thinking of him more favorably because I got the impression he didn't know. Like, I thought it was just supposed to be a case of, like, well, you know, there they disagreed over something, there was a fight, his dad tragically died, he was saved by someone unknown, years later he met the queen. In this case, the re- the thing they were going to do, and this didn't make it into the movie, was before they, before they left to go on the voyage where they died, they made a point of, and when we come back, we're going to tell the kids everything. We're going to clear the air. We're going to make sure there's no more secrets. <laughs> and then they died. Right. So. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. It's hard to say whether this movie benefits from that or not. Like, it does sort of raise more questions at the same time as it answers some things. It is at least interesting to have that information. I'll give it that. I do think looking at the first movie and not walking away with these parents are bastards. Yeah, like, it, it is nice to think of them as not being just impossibly stupid. Yeah, it creates the question, okay, how can these two parents be like this for this long with this actual problem that they solved in this actual way? What options do we have for telling a story that both explains that behavior and humanizes the parents? Though I don't feel that the first movie suffers from the parents being incapable of parenting. Like, they're not developed characters or anything, so yeah. we don't especially care that they were bad at their job and then they died. 
they did what they needed to do to facilitate Hunter Elsa's story, which is get out the way. Yeah, though, <laughs> maybe there are better options than that. Yeah, I, I look, I, I'm just, I'm saying that you don't need to know why they're bad at parenting for Frozen 1 to work fine. Uh-huh. Um, but it's not, like, it's not a stupid avenue to explore with your sequel, as far as unexplained backstory stuff goes. Definitely better than most unexplained backstory stuff that sequels feel the need to address. If anything, it makes them look kinda good, because they tried to, you know, make it work with Elsa, despite the fact that they would have had every reason to be really afraid of magic at that point. Wait, no. If they knew everything, that makes less sense. <laughs> that sort of turns it back around, I like it less. Oh well. Complicated feelings, which is about right for this movie. Do you have a grand thesis? Do I have a grand thesis? Um, I tend to agree with the the Twitter folk who broadly felt that, that this movie was about creating the image of a potential girlfriend for Elsa and then definitely, definitely, definitely saying that it wasn't there. The creators of this movie didn't know who the source of the voice was until half the movie was made. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that explains a lot, yeah. It feels like they tried to do... Like, part of what worked about the first Frozen movie was the 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 bait-and-switch with, like, the, oh, it's like a fairy tale. True love will make everything better. But, that's, yes, but true love turns out to be not from the person you thought it was from and not towards the person you thought it was towards and not the kind of love you thought it was. And, like, that all worked. And it feels like the what they settled on for the voice in this movie kind of does the same thing. Like, ah, uh, you know, you thought it was Destiny calling you, but it was you all along. Oh, God, it's Moana. Moana's a lot better than this. Anyway, it doesn't land well, I don't think. It just kind of feels like a letdown. Especially with the song that Elsa performs going in. Like, that's... Subverting that so she's talking to herself just doesn't feel clever so much as it feels cheating i mean that's how i came away from it feeling anyway what do the, you think the source of the voice is her mother is it yeah is it not her well yeah i guess i mean wikipedia may have lied to me <laughs> and i did only watch the movie 40 minutes ago so maybe i'm remembering wrong <laughs> yeah i guess so the the voice is her the lesson is she is the spirit yeah but the uh if what you're getting at here is the, I think it's uh, aptly stated, this movie features a song of Elsa singing where her girlfriend would be. Yeah. Passionately singing a song to the empty space where her girlfriend was meant to be. But yeah, I I don't know why I took the presence of her mother to be metaphorical and the voice to be an echo rather than the voice being her mother to be literal. And... I believe, based on your earlier statements it's magic it don't got to explain shit <laughs> well i guess that's the thing like there's a few places where it's not clear what's metaphorical and what's literal and you know i'm not let's let's agree that i'm not calling the five-year-olds dumb for finding this a bit confusing <laughs> all right <laughs> but yeah i mean who knows if it was ever supposed to be something more concrete or if there was supposed to be an actual character or like what the other possibilities were but uh you know i don't I don't think people who felt a little cheated by this were wrong either. Then again, I mean, I I do feel like it was perhaps a bit foolish to think Disney would actually go for it and make 
a high-profile main character, beloved of little girls the world over, into <laughs> into their first gay character. <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, fool you twice, shame on you, I guess. I don't know. I think when they wind up doing it, they'll, they'll throw a parade. They're not about to do anything subtle on this front. The idea of Disney teasing us with that is, like, they're not going to do it subtly it's not gonna be a thing we have to decode no no and just like i i don't anyone who thought they were ready for it in 2019 i think was fooling themselves like they should be ready for it don't get me wrong i'm not saying you're wrong to want it i'm saying you were wrong if you believed at that point you were gonna get it i'm sorry you do deserve better well with that disheartening message towards (laughs) the gays Uh, would you like to move on to whatever land Sure. Uh, did, did, wait, did you have a grand thesis? I didn't even ask you. Well, I did, and then I saw one of the things that wound up becoming part of my whatever land, so... Alright, well, why don't you take us on a lovely journey then, Talon? Uh, first things first. Flag review. <laughs> the flag of Arendelle is a B-tier flag. Good colour selection, but the symbol has fine detail and is hard to render at a distance. It's It's simple conceptually... But the symbol itself is way too simple to be, like, crudely sketched and to come across as what it is. Yeah, when you're more complicated than a flirtily, you've got to stop and restart. (laughs) Can I stitch it from fabric? (laughs) Into the Unknown is some fantastically straight gay shit. (laughs) Yeah. Sanitized heterotheatrics. Ooh. He's right and he's right to say so. Um, I... I am available for crass merchandising, I guess, because I think the lizard's really cute. Um, then I'm disappointed they didn't use it more because it's obviously like here's your cute mascot for this movie, but like they just moved on at such a clip that you know it was onto Barbie's dream water horse before we could even really get to know the little guy. Cute little trivia of making the fire spirit a salamander uh-huh. is that the Norse spirit of fire is the salamander. Is it? Oh, that's cool. That's cool, yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, I, you know, all of the spirits are kind of disappointing because they sort of don't do a heck of a lot, except for Waterhorse, who does, like, everything. But, ah, by all our place sets and toys! Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what they're there for. Okay. <laughs> yep, yep. I bet they didn't even merchandise them that much. Well, no, I bet they merchandised the shit out of that horse. But yeah. I bet Salamander got screwed. I reckon I could go find a lot of plushies of that salamander. Well, I hope so. It's certainly a lot more interesting than the series' previous merchandisable mascot, Olaf. Notice all the research that I do, but looking up whether or not you can buy the <laughs> salamander? No, that is beyond us. I am done. Anyway. And Elsa's million dresses, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nope, that's about it. <laughs> so, with that sort of standard... Go on. Speaking of gay, have you met Sven's new friend? Yeah. You remember how in the first movie everyone who wasn't extremely into Elsa being a lesbian was like, Why are? Why are? Uh, Kristoff. And did I call him Sven the first time? You did. Whoops. You want to go for a start again? <laughs> Speaking of gay, have you met Kristoff's new friend? Man, do you remember in the first movie when everyone who wasn't extremely into Elsa being gay was like, why are Elsa and Kristoff not a thing? Because he's like all about ice and she's like all about ice. 
And like, in this movie, they gave him a boy who's all about reindeer and how difficult it is to deal with people, but boy, reindeer are easy. Like, it's weird, right? I'm not the only one who was like, are you trying to... No, he's still on proposing. Okay, I guess so. Trust me, there are lots of people who think that way. And you <laughs> should get an <laughs> AO3 account and join them. I shouldn't. <laughs> they wouldn't like me. <laughs> it would be well deserved. I would be horrid. The AO3 archive people are like live journal archivists who fight dragons. <laughs> They know they're goblin people. You do not need to be afraid of harming AO3. Oh, no, it's just they're, I mean, they're, they're very young. And there's room there for people who are a lot nicer than me. With a lot different standards for ground. Look, I... <coughs> Let me save these people from me. You consider trying being nice? I did. I don't go to DeviantArt anymore. With that standard muesli mix of whatever land out of the way, shall we now talk about things that almost happened but didn't in this movie? Yeah, hit me. So, in the first screening of the movie, it opens with, in media ray, the king's story happening as a narrator tells the story of what's going on. Uh-huh. And then, at the climax, cuts to Anna and Elsa in bed being read a bedtime story by their dad. Mm-hmm. No need for the doll section beforehand or the prince and princess stuff from Anna. Mm-hmm. All of that doesn't happen. There's no previous thing. That's the cold open of the movie. I don't know why they felt the need to to add the extra stuff in there. Like, I don't feel like that explains anything that would have been ambiguous. Because they felt the movie needed to start with characters that were immediately recognized by the children. Now, There was going to be a musical number. When Northaldrian and Arendelle soldiers met with the uh, royals, and it was going to be you know explaining the story of what they've been doing for you know n years, oh, yeah. and instead that got cut for Olaf explaining everything. Oh, Olaf! He doesn't even really explain anything there, though. It's just about how spoopy the forest is. A former draft had. Agnar and Iduna meeting as children, like little kids, during the battle and running off together and not knowing what happened during the battle and fleeing back to where he was from from to make a life together. Oh, see, that's the version that makes them make sense and nobody's an asshole. I like that version better. In the tie-in novel Forest of Shadows, they used a scene that got cut from this, which was... Olaf finding a secret room inside the castle, which was one of the reasons that they had said, you know, don't open doors you don't know. This is, you know, keep people sealed into their locations, which was full of magical books written by their mum and explainers on Elsa's power. I see. It also had an extensive section about the way that the uh, Northaldra language had been stamped out in Arendelle, so having books that had it was technically against the law and how the king couldn't change that law because it had been there before he started kind of thing. Uh, There was originally going to be a love song between Kristoff and Anna, which was going to end with him proposing. And, uh, yep. Mm, I like that, I think. Uh, There was going to be a song of Anna just singing about how much she loved Arendelle. (laughs) Yeah. 
And now my two biggest beefs here, the two changes that I personally think make this movie worse. All right, what do you got? The castle was originally going to be destroyed by the tidal wave. The village was going to be left alone, but the castle was going to get wrecked. That would have been a much stronger ending, like, because as it is, it's, it's very good that the people who did the wrong are willing to give up everything to set it right. But the fact that they then don't have to kind of weakens it a bit. Absolutely. Whereas the castle being destroyed is an excellent halfway measure because it's, I mean, the people who were actually responsible for, like, you know, the fucking village people of Arendelle are blameless in this. They have benefited from it, so they need to, like, acknowledge it and understand it, but it wasn't their fault, whereas the royals, it was directly their fucking fault. Yeah. So... Fair enough. Smash the fucking castle. Actually lose something. And then show in the subsequent sequence where Anna becomes queen, rebuilding the castle in a fusion of Arendelle and Northaldrum styles. Would have been very cool. Yeah. And the other one, Josh Gad begged the creative team... To let Olaf die? To leave Olaf dead. Oh my god. And the thing is, what did Ah. I say when Olaf died while we were watching it? What did you say? I said, you're not fucking Artax. Oh, yeah, it's true. But you know what? If he'd stayed dead, he would be the next Artax. There would be all these little kids whose key memory of this movie was, no, really, Olaf fucking (laughs) died. Well, not to put too fine a point on it, but Artax does come back in the end as well, so... I would hate that movie if he didn't come back. Like, I don't mind if you make me cry movie, but I demand a happy ending. <laughs> we, we don't settle for bullshit around here. So there's your big list of, hey, things that could easily have been a bit different. You know what? Since we're complaining about Olaf, um, I'm really shitted off by the water has memory thing. Oh, yeah. Because Olaf's other whimsical travel facts are all real shit. Wombats do poop cubes. Turtles, well, I mean, some turtles, breathe through their butts. This is a bunch of, like, good, stupid, weird, seemingly impossible facts that kids can, you know, pick up and throw out as trivia to their other friends and feel smart. And then just into that, they dot bullshit that's basically homeopathy. Uh-huh. And that's fucking shit! Yep. That's, you can't, you should have made them all nonsense if you were gonna make any of them nonsense. If you needed... The water has memory thing to justify Olaf's continued existence uh, in in this movie. Okay, but don't put that alongside a bunch of other actual nature facts. That's irresponsible. By the way, the nature fact thing from Olaf was also going to be tied into finding the mum's library. (laughs) Is that why he knows a bunch of nature facts out of nowhere? (laughs) I kind of like that. Ah, so like perhaps the sisters don't find out about it when he does, but he's read all the books so later on they're like, if only we knew about thing and he's like, oh yeah, that secret room would have been really handy. Yeah, something <laughs> oh, like well. that. well, and then they'd be like, what do you mean? The thing and you never told us, he was like, oh yeah, and I read all this stuff and like, you know, you get the layers of Olaf not realizing what is important to other people in the way that is very Olafy and can either be excruciatingly annoying or kind of funny, depending on how well Olaf is landing at that given moment. He's definitely more on the annoying side in this movie. With all of that done, then, I bring you, through capitalism, (laughs) 
one of your favorite things. Disappointment and an argument. I don't like either of those things. <laughs> I swear I don't. I just received them so readily. What do you reckon the take was like? Higher or lower than Ralph breaks the internet? Uh, okay, look, look. <laughs> yes? Either way, one of these movies is going to make less. <laughs> and I'm calling that a win. <laughs> Because I don't want this movie to make a lot of money. But I want Ralph Breaks the Internet to make less money. So, I don't know. Uh, oh, no, hang on. This is going to be ruined by the pulling early from theaters and the streaming. Ah, oh, fuck. How are they filtering in streaming to to this? They're mo- not. Oh, God, okay. Okay. Box um, office take only. Fox, Final Destination, no hydrants. Oh, no. Okay, I was confidently going to say that it made more than Wreck-It Ralph 2. Because, uh... This is how sequels work, right? And Frozen was the biggest shit ever. So, like, everyone took their fucking child to see a sequel to Frozen. Except if it got taken out of cinemas early and a bunch of people never got to because there was a fucking plague. Ah! This ruins everything. All right. Um, I'm going to say it still made more because it was still Frozen 2. Elsa, Elsa's more. This movie made $1.5 billion. Jesus Christ, it made more than Frozen! It beat Frozen. Even having like four, did you say four months in its release schedule? November to March, so yeah. Yeah, okay. It's $1.5 billion triples Ralph's $500 million. Good, suck it, Ralph. Frozen 2 broke the unadjusted record of worldwide opening for an animated film. With three hundred and fifty-eight million at the box office on its opening week, this is the highest-grossing film, sequel or otherwise, in the Disney animated canon. Yeah, figures. It is also the highest-grossing animated film. Period. Yep. Asterisk. Asterisk. Depending upon how one feels about the lion king what do you mean how one feels well oh we're not talking about the remake no 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 the lion king remake in 2019 is considered by disney to be a live action movie i'm gonna be sick and the movie sorry and the academy and most people consider The Lion King to be an animated movie because Mm. it fucking is. And me people consider it to be a shit-ass movie because it is. I can't believe all you motherfuckers (laughs) went and saw that piece of crap. It made three million more than Frozen 2. And thus, the argument. People can bicker about whether or not The Lion King should be classified in that way. They can argue out whether or not classifying it that way gives undue shade to Frozen 2. They can argue all they want about this. I pass the argument off on those who are willing to have it. (laughs) I don't need to have that argument because I don't actually care if it's live action or animated. (laughs) The fact that it made 1.8 billion, are you saying? 1.5 billion. 1.5 billion is a fucking disgrace. No, Lion King, not Frozen 2. Yeah, it's, it's 3 million difference. Three million out of one point right. five billion. It's a rounding error. It I, doesn't I'm missing matter. a zero in my rounding. You error. really are. The fact that that made <laughs> one point five billion is a fucking disgrace. <laughs> I can't believe you people. I would rather watch 
the fucking Endgame Avengers movie. Dan, Dan, watch that fucking atrocity. Ah! <laughs> oh, I'm so mad! <laughs> 1.5 <laughs> billion. 1.5 for Frozen 2. 1.5 billion for an ugly-ass remake of the best 90s movie that's not even the best 90s movie in retrospect. Academically speaking, if you view market success as a demonstration of value, you'd have to look at the Disney animated canon and say, well, Frozen 2 is the high watermark, which I think should be proof that capitalism meritocracy is fake. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all the proof you need if you look at the the Lion King remake and compare it to the original Lion King and say, well, this one was clearly better. The the ugly one, where we tried to make the animals look so realistic they can't really have facial expressions anymore, is clearly better. <laughs> so I, I don't see how you could need any more proof than that, that we cannot use profits to evaluate the actual merits of a movie. So here we are at the absolute peak pinnacle highest point apex and apogee of disney's financial success of the pre-pandemic world hey fox what's next what's next well you remember how when we started out doing this podcast it was about movies that i'd watched and you have well we're returning to our roots because <laughs> it's time for raya and the last dragon which is entirely new territory to tap in. it is 